Once more, welcome everyone, all of you in Cafe Worship. We love you guys so much. We love what happens back there every single Sunday. If you're joining us by audio or video podcast, welcome to you as well. Thank you. You honor us by joining us for this message. Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Very last book in the Bible, book of Revelation chapter 20. This is the second sermon in a message series entitled Loaded Words. Loaded words. In this life that we live as Christians on mission, we recognize that our mission has to do with telling others about Jesus, and telling others requires words. Words work when we use the same words and attach the same meanings, but words fail when we begin to use words but attach separate meanings. And and this is what I'm talking about with this series. Sometimes the words we use in church don't sound the same when we get outside of church, and sometimes the world has no idea what we're talking about talking about. So we have loaded words, words that, words that trigger emotions, associations, and meanings that sometimes we don't intend at all. But I think we all recognize today's word is a very, very difficult and, and loaded word. One day, uh, Wade was small. Our son Wade was a, was a toddler. He was probably three years old, maybe four at, four at the most. We were sitting at home. It was a quiet day. We had no idea what was about to happen. Uh, the knock at the door is the back door. He opened the door, and Marie Smalling comes in, and she has a Cool Whip container. Now, usually if Marie's at your door, it's a good thing because she brings food, and a Cool Whip container looked promising. A little Cool Whip container with a plastic lid. As soon as I opened the door, Marie just burst right in. She walked right in and said, hi, listen, I found this snake. I found this snake, and I thought that Wade needed it. Now, okay, he's a toddler. He's a toddler. And as she's talking, a true story, as she's talking, the lid pops off, and the snake springs out like, like one of those cartoons where you open the can. The snake just springs out. It lands on our kitchen table and just starts moving across the table. Marie just keeps talking. I found this snake, and I just thought that Wade needed it. She picked it up off the table, kind of wound it back into a ball, like a medium-sized ball, and put it back in that small size bowl, put the lid on it. And she just keeps talking. I found the snake. I just thought Wade would like the snake. And my son is sitting there on the couch with his little, you know, his, his, you know, pretty widow eggs and his, you know, soft hands. He's just sitting there at Tyler. She puts the snake bowl in his lap and leaves. We're just kind of speechless for me. I mean, here's my son. And, and we know that this, this serpent is coiled and ready to, I mean, the only thing keeping us from, you know, death by, you know, you know, anaconda is this very, very thin plastic lid that we know can pop off at any minute. So, I mean, we didn't say a word. I just walked over. I got that bowl, you know, like I'm handling like a, a, a bomb, a ticking bomb. I got that bowl. I, I got in the car, y'all. I drove like as far away from my house as I could, and I just threw it out like, 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 people do like meth labs. I just threw it out in the ditch and drove off. Oh, I mean, you know, don't tell Marie. Don't tell Marie. I, just, I thought, you know, I found the snake. I thought your, your baby wanted this. Whoa. Um, today's word is kind of like that snake in the bowl. You know, in other words, if, if this word pops out, you can clear the room really, really quickly. Uh, it's a serious word. Today's word is hell hell. It's like the snake in the bowl. Nobody really wants to talk about it, although I would argue that maybe in our day of all days, we really, really need to be finding 
a new way to talk about this. It's interesting. Ever since 9-11, the, the, the percentage of people in the United States that, that say that they believe in a literal hell is, is continuing to increase. I know that sounds surprising to most of us because nobody's talking about this. Not even in church do people talk about hell. But people are thinking about it, and, and people believe. Something like three in four people believe in hell. And again, that number's increasing since 9-11, which I think is sort of fascinating. Now, interestingly, something like 75% say that they believe in hell, but only about 10%. In other words, about one in 10 actually thinks that they're going. Now, they like to tell other people that they can go, you, you know, but, but for the most part, people believe in it, but they don't really think that it's a place that, that they themselves would go, which is fascinating. 75% of people believe in it, 10% think they're going, but none of us want to talk about it. The scriptures give us important reasons to talk about it. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 20 and uh, see if we can see what John sees. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, John had this revelation. That's what the book of Revelation is about. The word revelation, the, word, the Greek word there means to pull back a curtain. So in other words, we're being allowed to see something that ordinarily we can't see. And what happens after death is something that we just don't see. We, we, we can't see it. We, we have to trust the one who's been there and back, and his name is Jesus, right? I mean, we have to trust Jesus, the only one who has died and come back from the grave. And so this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. If, if you read the whole book, the whole book of Revelation, it's a revelation of, of Jesus Christ, the one who is and was and is to come, the one who holds the keys to death and the grave. Understand, he's the one who's been there and back. And so Jesus' word on the afterlife is, is very, very important. You're not going to be able to dismiss this that easily. So John has this revelation that this curtain is pulled back and he's allowed to see what ordinarily we can't see. And, and let's talk about what he sees. Verse 11 first. What's the first thing that he sees? I saw a, a great white throne. Now understand, it's not that the chair is so great. Wow, what, that's, what is that, a barca lounger? That is the greatest chair ever. It, it's not a great white throne because of the chair, because of the throne. It is great because of... The one sitting on it. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. So understand, John has this revelation. And at the end of everything, what he sees is the one who sits on the great throne. 
The throne is great because the one on the throne is great. This is the one, that this is the ruler of everything. This is God, understand. And at the end of all things, I know that this is scandalous to say out loud, but at the end of all things, the one on the throne is, is not Buddha. And it's not Confucius, and it's not any other person that ever lived. It's not Mohammed. It's not a human being at all. The one who sits on the throne is maker and creator of everything. His name is God, God the Father, God the Father of Jesus. You understand? He's the one sitting on the throne. That means he is the one in control. It's not that he has only recently ascended to this place. This has always been his throne. He's always been there. The problem is we haven't always acknowledged his right to reign and to rule over us. But on this day of all days, we will stand before his throne and we will see him. See him. Now, there's time in the Old Testament, back in the book of Exodus, where the people have this opportunity to see God. God comes down and he's on the mountain. But as the people hear the thunder in the distance, they just nominate Moses to go for them. They just suggest that maybe Moses go into that thick darkness where God is. But Moses, you go, you come back, report to us. But when Moses returned and they saw that man's blistered face, at that point they requested that they never see or hear God directly. They're just content to hear from Moses. Moses, you go, you come back. The people were terrified to look into that blistering glory of God. They would not penetrate that deep darkness where God was. Understand, at that point, the people said they they would rather not look into that face. But understand, on this day of all days, we will all look into that face. We will see him. We will see God. We will look into the blazing brilliance of his glory. You're going to see him. Do you understand that? I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence. That the earth and sky, heaven and earth have to flee. Do you understand that once God's glory is revealed, there is room for nothing else. God's glory is so great that everything else, earth and heaven, everything that you know will just simply evaporate because there's room for nothing else when God's glory is revealed. When you see him like that, you're going to finally understand who he is and his right to rule and to reign. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Next, I saw what? Verse 12. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. People, all the people, understand that this is at the end of everything, at the the end of everything. So the dead would be everybody. It means everybody who's ever lived on this planet will stand before him, every naked soul before him in one long line. I hate lines. I hate lines. I I hate the line at Walmart worse than anything in the world. I mean, I I hate lines. I hate the line at at, at the DMV. I I, I just hate lines. Something about standing in a line, just waiting my turn, it drives me nuts. If I were in charge of the universe, there would always be two lines, one for preachers and one for everybody else. (laughs) Understand, I would like to be at the front of every line. I I just can't stand that. But understand, on, on this day of all days, we will all stand in one line, the great and the small. In other words, there's no one greater 
Kings will stand beside their peasants. You know, those who ruled and reigned on this earth will stand in line naked just like everybody else. There is no status before God. There, there's, there's no one that gets any sort of VIP treatment. The, the dead, both great and small, standing in one long line. Part of me just thinks, what? I, I mean, everybody that ever lived in one long line, we're going to stand before God personally? Everybody personally? Well, understand, this is eternity now. There, there's no such thing as time. That time has to do with this life. Time has to do with, with what started ticking from the moment you took your first breath, and it'll tick all, in, all up until the moment you take your last breath. But understand, after you take your last breath and you open your eyes in, in eternity, there, there's no more time. So it's not like you're going to think, oh my goodness, this is taking forever. It, 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 understand, you're in eternity now. That There is no time, and honestly, you've got no place else to be. This is the end. And I'm telling you, you're probably not going to be in a hurry because for a whole lot of people, what comes next is terrible. Terrible. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne and the books. Books were open, including the book of life. So, So there are books... And, and there's a book. There's the, the books and, and a book. Everyone is judged according to what they have done, the Scripture says. In other words, the, the, the books represent that, that record. The words you've spoken, all the deeds that you have done, understand that, that it hasn't gone away. There's a permanent record. Man, I'm in sixth grade. One day I got in trouble coming back from band. You know, where all, and all the cool kids are in band. And, and I was coming back, and all the band kids got in this water fight. We, we were getting, sucking like water out of the water fountain and then running through the gym, spitting on each other. Kids don't do this at home. But running, spitting, you know. So, you know, I was coming, just going, you know, blowing water. It was just fun. You know, we're supposed to be in class. We're coming back from band. And all of a sudden, I'm about to spit, and, and Mr. Slinker, our principal, walks right in the corner. But it's the end of the day, right? So what can they do? Well, they just said, we'll, we'll get you in the morning. You know, you, you'll, you'll get, you know, paddled in the morning, back when they could paddle. Long story short, I didn't get a paddle. And what they said is, this is just be on your permanent record. My what? <laughs> permanent record. So apparently out there somewhere is a record that has the day, you know, I'm, you know, blowing water. And Mr. Zinker, I mean, a permanent record, it never goes away. Now something tells me that permanent record wasn't so permanent. I can't imagine it, you know, that, that that's going to come back one day, the day I spit water in the gymnasium. Except that there are books. There are a whole lot of things in your life that you sort of thought you had escaped. A whole lot of moments in your life where you think you got off. You you think you somehow missed the mess that that you deserved and created, but but this is the point. It, It comes back. The words you say, the things you've done, it it all comes back. It, it, It all comes back. So what does the scripture say? The books were open, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done. The dead were judged according to what they had done. 
I, I know that that sounds shocking for some people because you say, Pastor Tim, salvation is by grace. It's, it, it's not by works. But the scripture says repeatedly that, that on that day when people stand before God, they're going to be judged according to what they had done. So understand, judgment is by works. Judgment is by works. Salvation is by grace. That's different. We'll get to that in a minute. But judgment is by works. You'll be judged according to what you've done. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 say this, because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your, say the word, sin, because you're stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself, for God will judge everyone according to what they have done. God will judge everyone according to what they have done. Your works will judge you, and I promise you that your works are only going to condemn you. A lot of people go through this life, especially when thinking about hell, and somehow they imagine that there's just no way in the world that when they stand before God, God's going to judge them for punishment. We all think that somehow we're better than that, that when God sees us, he's just going to look at us kind of like our grandma does and think, oh man, look at your sweet widow eggs. You just come up here and sit on God's lap. You know, you're thinking that? You're thinking that you'll stand before him and God's going to go, oh, oh shoot, you were pretty good. Go on in that. Go on. You were pretty good. No, you don't understand. From what we know of the few people ever who, who saw even a bit of God's glory, the first thought, not, not later, but the first thought was, I'm dead. I mean, when they looked into the, the, the brilliance of God's glory, the first thought is, I'm finished, I'm done, I'm dead. I mean, nobody ever looked into his face and thought, I think everything's going to be okay. I think I'm going to be okay. No, without exception, everyone who looks into his face says, I'm finished, I'm dead. It's not going to be okay for you if you expect to go and be judged according to what you have done. Your works will condemn you. Well, Pastor Tim, I, I was pretty bad back in college, but I've, I've turned over a new leaf. This is what I'm telling you. The things you've done in college, that comes back. It's remembered. Now, I know that worries you, but, but there's another part of your mind with which you need to think here and recognize how beautiful this is. And, and listen to me. This is beautiful. I mean, go back with me. The book of Revelation is actually written to encourage people who are suffering. People who are suffering. Christians who are just beginning to suffer real persecution at the hands of an evil Roman empire. Understand? An empire that would throw Christians into a, into a den full of lions. An empire that would strap animal skins uh, to, to the backs of Christian women and release them into an arena with a pack of wolves just to watch them torn apart. That Saturday afternoon entertainment in the Roman Empire. I'm not making this stuff up. They were suffering at the hands of evil people. And when you suffer at the hands of evil people, you just want to say, isn't anybody paying attention? Is this world that chaotic? Is, is there no justice in this earth? And the answer to that question is absolutely there's justice on this earth. One day, the dead, both great and small, will stand before the throne and they will each be judged according to what they have done. You better believe there's justice and it's perfect. At the end of the judgment, nobody's going to say, hey, wait, that wasn't fair. Every mouth will be silent. You will know, you will know that you will know that God is perfect in his judgment. Not going to be any argument, not going to be any defense. Flora Templeton Stewart won't help you there. Do you understand? <laughs> Judge according to what they have done. 
All of the people who say, I just can't believe that there's a God who would send people to hell. Well, I'm telling you, the people who say that haven't been around the world very much. In Rwanda, there was a period of time during the horrible conflict in Rwanda when, when men would humiliate their enemy by going into the house and taking their children and just randomly cutting off an arm or a leg of your enemy. That, that was your way of humiliating your neighbor. Just cut off his beloved child's arm or leg. So in Rwanda to this day, there's a generation of children that's crippled and lame. Understand that they have no arms, have no legs. I mean, you know these things, right? They would cut off the noses or the lips of women just to humiliate them. When there are people who've lived through atrocities you can't even imagine. And these people say, is there no justice? Do men who do these kinds of acts of brutality and violence, do they just get to, to just go through life and never have to answer for that? I'm telling you, they answer for that. They answer for that. The, the, the Holocaust, understand, that score hasn't been settled yet. That score gets settled by the one sitting on the throne, the only one authorized to do the judging. He's going to judge perfectly. Man, I heard the story of a little girl whose daddy used to rape her. And as he would rape her, he would recite the Lord's Prayer. That's evil. Is there no justice for the kind of evil that exists in this world? You better believe it. Justice, I mean, we, we cry out for it. We, we want justice, right? We, we, we want to believe that the score is going to be settled. We really do want to believe that, that evil would be punished. And this is what Scripture says. It will be. It absolutely will be. The problem is you're probably not on the side of this that you think. Because if the books are open, your book is going to be open too. And honestly, you're really not the, the person that you think you are. A lot of things you've forgotten, you're going to be reminded of on this day. It doesn't go away. Your sins follow you to the other side. It doesn't go away. There are books to be open. And your deeds will only condemn you. Understand that. Your works will only condemn you, which means only Jesus can save you. You're not going to get to heaven based on your works. You can't. You can't. No liar inherits the kingdom of God, the scripture says. I mean, you've already lied. It's too late. Do you see? So there are books, and then there is a book. The books have the record of everything you've ever done. It's your permanent record. But then there's a book called the book of life. There are books, and then there's a book. The books are the records of all the deeds and all the words of everybody who's ever lived. But, but the book of life is just a book of names. Just names. Names. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. In other words, that, that book is associated with the only one who can save you. His, his name is Jesus. He's called the Lamb because, because sin demands a sacrifice, sin demands punishment. And, and this is a beautiful gospel that we get to share that, 
that God himself was not willing that anyone should perish. God was not willing that anyone should endure eternity without him. And so God himself stepped down from his throne, took on flesh in the form of Jesus. He he died for our sins. He paid the price. He who knew no sin became sin itself that we might have the righteousness of God. I mean, Scripture makes it plain in the most familiar verse that, that you all know. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who, say the word, believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. It's the Lamb's book of life, and there's nothing in it but names. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's the Lamb's book of life. It's it's Jesus' book. So the point is those who believe in him, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, those who accept his offer of salvation, it's, it's an offer of salvation. How could anybody say no? Why would anybody say no? I don't understand. When heaven and hell are the options, who chooses hell? I I, I don't understand. But all I can say is a whole lot of people every single day choose hell over heaven. They they understand the offer of salvation and and they walk away. I, I really don't understand that. But what I do understand is what the scripture makes clear. God's final decision about you will be based on your decision about him. I don't understand, Brother Tim, how a, how a loving God could send people to hell. This is what I'm telling you. He doesn't. He was not willing that anyone should perish. He did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. His intention has been from the very beginning to save you. If you go to hell, he won't send you there. That's the place you chose for yourself. You'll stand before that throne, and God is just simply going to pronounce the sentence that you have passed upon yourself. You choose that. You're choosing it now. Well, Pastor Jim, I don't really think I'll choose hell in the end. You're just going to sort of live your life, have your party, and then right there, you know, once the doctor tells you you have cancer, and they're like, you got three days left, on day number two, you'll probably call me in, and then, and then we'll arrange somehow to have you saved and baptized in the hospital. That's what you're thinking. Just sort of live my life, get all the way to the end, and then before it gets too late, then I'll, I'll change my mind. I'll, I'll confess Jesus then. You don't know that it's going to work that way. You don't know that you'll have another opportunity other than the one you have right now. Jesus says that unless you receive him as as a little child, you'll never enter heaven. I'm not saying that only children get saved, but I do know one thing, that the longer you say no, the chances of you ever saying yes become really, really slim. There's a hardening that comes with saying no day after day over and over for your whole life. I don't baptize a whole lot of senior adults, y'all. I don't see a whole lot of older folks getting saved because their hearts get hard. Your heart's getting hard. That's why today is a day of salvation. That's why when you hear the word, the offer of salvation, you jump on that. It's a rescue. It is salvation. 
Hell's a loaded word. It's really hard to talk about because you can clear a room. Nobody wants to have this conversation. Nobody wants to hear about it. I don't like to preach about it, to be honest. But you deserve to be warned. I don't know how it will be that day to stand in that long line, all of us naked souls together. I don't know how that will be, but I can't imagine standing in that line with people who say, Pastor Tim, how did you never tell me about this? How did you never preach this? I mean, I would hate to stand there that day and look you in the face, and, and I never warned you about, you know, the bad news because I only wanted to preach good news. People in your life, they they deserve to hear the warning from you. You believe this, right? That they need to know. They need to understand that it's not just that Jesus saves you from bad days on earth. He rescues you from an eternity of separation from God and and eternal punishment. There's a rescue from that. Not just saved out of thin air. We're saved from something horrible. We're saved from God's wrath. people in your life who need to know. You need to find the courage to learn how to say the word again. If you believe and if you care about people, how can you not tell them? Pray with me. Lord, your word says that on that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. Every knee bowing, every tongue saying you are Lord. So it's not a question of whether or not we will ever bow before you, Lord. It's a question of when, and there is such a time as too late. Every knee will bow on that great day, Lord, but not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Many, many, many on that great and awful day will be cast into the lake of punishment. We know those people. We live with those people. We see those people. We we call them our friends, our neighbors, our family members, our children, our parents. Jesus, I pray that you would give us some kind of vision of hell. Lord, Lord, some kind of bedrock assurance, Lord, of the reality of this so that we will have enough courage to warn people. Not to warn people in such a way where it sounds like we're delighted that they're going, Lord, but to warn people in such a way where they know that we love them and our hearts break out of fear for what is to come for them if they do not know you. If we believe, Lord, then teach us to care. And if we care, Lord, then teach us how to tell. And if we tell, Lord, then we pray that your Holy Spirit will come up underneath our words so that people will repent and turn to you before it is too late. Pray these things in the name of Jesus who saves us from God's wrath. Amen.